You are now listening to the LICC Campus Ministry Podcast. Incredible, wonderful, amazing woman, Rebecca. <laughs> and she's a woman of ministry leader, by the way. She's also taken. Bro! Um, <laughs> she's going to be speaking about overcoming the objection of Islam. Come on. Yeah. Come on. After that, we have our brother Chris Worth who's going to get up here. He's going to Our sister Rachel is going to talk about overcoming atheism. And then the fearless leader in the North Dom is going to talk about overcoming Calvinism. So let's really encourage our brothers and sisters and uh, let's take out our pens and papers. Let's take some notes to be able to learn and put our heads together for Rebecca who's going to be up the first speaker. Now all of you will get that same greeting. Oh, he kissed me. tonight, demystifying Islam. And my goal tonight is to do just that. I think a lot of us, we can get really fearful, thank you, I think a lot of us can get really fearful when it comes to going up and even approaching someone that comes from this background of faith on our campuses, and we can be really fearful because we don't really, as Colby was talking about, we don't really know how to overcome their objections. Mm -hmm. And so um, I wanted to share just a few facts. But about Islam, first of all, but it was founded by the Prophet Muhammad in the 6th century. It's the fastest growing religion in the world. There are 1.8 billion Muslims. That means that in the world, so that means 24% of the world is Muslim. And it's the third largest religion in London. Some say it'll be the largest religion in the next 80 years. So, I mean, it'll supersede the Christian faith, and that means we really need to know how to overcome their objections. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And that's exactly what will happen to God's people if we don't have the knowledge to be able to overcome these objections. Uh, Earlier this evening, I took a short survey of some, uh, of some, of some Islams, or Muslims, and, uh, sorry, my bad. There's a difference. And I just asked them a few questions because I just was curious about it. And um, I asked them uh, their age. I asked them if they read the Quran. Most of which said no. Most people that I've talked to, even in the past, have said no. I asked them, so then where do you get most of your beliefs from if they don't come from the Quran? And they said, majority of people, said that they come from their family, from the imam, so whoever the priest is, but they don't come from the Quran. And just to be fair, a lot of Christians are the same way. (laughs) They claim to be Christian, but their teachings, what they believe, doesn't actually come from the Bible. It comes from what someone else taught them, or it comes from what their family taught them. And so, before we're too quick to judge, um, but... Um, the, that, what that means is that, um, they really don't have very much that they're, that they're, that, that holds them or grounds them, except for social, um, except for their family, essentially. So I want to share a scripture in 2 Corinthians 10 to inspire you guys. So in 2 Corinthians 10, I'm just going to read it. In verses 3 to 5, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And I love this scripture because it means that the Bible is very powerful. It says it has the power to demolish strongholds. And when I think of strongholds, I think of being Islam, for the Islamic faith. That's what I think of, the spiritual strongholds on these people. I love the scripture in Daniel 10 where it says that Daniel is praying for 21 days and he's not able to be attended to because the prince of the kingdom of Persia has blocked the angel from coming to grant Daniel's request. And what that means is it doesn't mean a physical king over Persia. It's a spiritual, it's a demonic force that was over Persia. And it's the same thing. It's like we have so many people just in London that come from this background. It's a demonic force. And that's how we have to see it. We can't fight with the same weapons that the world uses. We have to use our spiritual weapons because that's all we have. And I want to empower you with three of them that we have. It's prayer, love, and the word of God. We need prayer because we need God to knock down the walls of Islam. We need love because for them to really be able to pretty much forsake their entire family, their entire community, they need a real family to come into. And what I want to talk specifically about right now is the word of God. Um, in Surah 1094, so in the, um, in the Quran, it reads, So if you are in doubt, O Muhammad, about that which we have revealed to you, then ask those who have been reading the scripture before you. The truth has certainly come to you from your Lord, so never be among the doubters. What I've noticed about the Quran is very wordy. So I just have to sit there and try and understand what it's saying. But essentially, what it's saying, and what several other scriptures in the Quran also say, you just need to do the research and find them, is that it's better, you have, if you have doubts, he's talking to Muhammad, if you have doubts, go back to the teachings of the gospel and the prophets. He says, go back to the Bible. And so, one objection that you're going to get when you bring this up to um, a Muslim is that the Bible has been tampered with, and we no longer have the original documents. And for us, we know there are over 20,000 manuscripts, or you can say, there's three full copies of the Bible from the time before Muhammad even became a prophet or was existed. Um, and they're the same copies, of course, that we use today. So if Muhammad said to go back to the Bible, and the Bible is tampered with, then that means Muhammad was wrong, and he shouldn't have told his people to go back. So is Muhammad a liar? Islam, we have to go back to the Bible. Mm. So would you like to do a Bible study? <laughs> I need to start with thinking yes. Um, I, I was really inspired just by thinking about the fact that this is a spiritual battle, and one of the songs that we don't sing yet in the uh, in this movement is um, a kingdom song from the former fellowship, and it's called Pray for the Peace of Jerusalem. And I'm just, it's not very long, I'm just going to read the lyrics to you. And just keep in mind, just like, it's all because it's a spiritual battle. The real work is our prayer, is our love, and honestly, knowing the word of God and the Quran to be able to help um, overcome these objections. But it says, the house of the Lord against the demons of hate. A spiritual war at Jerusalem's gate. Our minds are above and our message is peace. Our mission is love for the Middle East. The Great the Great Commission sends us to save what is lost and will come to fruition if we pay the cost. The battles rage which we shall overcome at the end of the age. 
The truth will have won. Peace of the soul was bought at a price. Hearts are made whole by the blood of Christ. This peace we bring in Lord Jesus' name. This song we sing that all nations be saved. Wow. To God be all the glory. Today I'm talking about combating evolution. Now, now for any of you who don't know me, I'm a second year biomedical scientist at Queen Mary, so this is something that I, well, well, this whole thing is on my own research, it's on why I study in lectures, and it's what I spend my life doing. <laughs> so if any of you want to take off head on. Yeah. So yeah, so the so the title of my of my charge is called uh, yeah, man, it's called combating evolution. Oh, and you see, I was talking to a guy, and I invited him to a Bible study, and I was like, "Hey, man, man how about you do a Bible study with me?" And he said, "Well, I would, but I hear that you don't like evolution, and I believe in evolution." So I said to him, "What was that? I can't hear you." <laughs> and that is the title of my first part. What is that? I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Come so, on. if we check, so if we turn our Bibles to Genesis 2, 23. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, 23. And these are the first words ever recorded by man to speak. And it says, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. Now, you see, I spend a lot of time around biology, <laughs> so I know the exact genes of which allow us to speak, and it's called the FOXP2 gene. Woo! And you see, it's called the FOXP2 gene. And you see, this gene was supposed to have evolved from chimpanzees and apes, so that it allows us to speak, and it's in every single animal. And you see, there's a position at 303 and 345, which is different from in the chimpanzee, which codes for a different amino acid, but which means we can speak and chimpanzees cannot. Of course, so then the question arises, so did Adam evolve? Clearly he must have evolved from a chimpanzee to be able to speak, because we see here that he speaks. So then we have a look at Genesis 2 verse 7, and it says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So here we see the creation of Adam from God. And he had no ancestors, so he had no need to evolve from anything. He came from God. Now evolution takes millions of years, ladies and gentlemen. Millions of years. But he spoke within his lifetime after being created. How, how old was he? What, about 20, 30, 40 years? That isn't enough time for evolution. So here we see that either evolution is right or God is right. And why God is right. So you see, the second part of my, uh, of my charge is called, it's either God's way or the highway. Hey. Hey. And here, I have a few facts to prove why God is right. It says, for 70 years and thousands of experiments, scientists, 
have been trying to create life from dead matter. 70 years. That's older than me and Colby put together. <laughs> 70 years. And yet they have failed every single time. So why are we here? It says, fossilized apes have flexible foot, whereas we have a curved, non-flexible foot. Mm. So if evolution didn't happen, as I said in the past, um, in the past part of my sermon, then clearly we didn't come from any ape. Yeah. <laughs> it says, the discovery of useless junk DNA, which was why evolution was such a big part. You see, this junk DNA was discovered and it was said to, be a, uh, and it was said to have been useless. So why would God make anything that's useless? Why? It's supposed to be perfect. Why make something that's useless? Now you see, in the past few years, when we've discovered that junk DNA is the exact reason why you make certain proteins that turn on and off these genes to make these proteins. This is a useless DNA, ladies and gentlemen. This is the most important part of your DNA. Wow. <laughs> and my last part is that scientists like to say that evolution happened, but they can't exactly map together every single part. Mm. So they like to say that anything that is out of their knowledge is evolution. So now we're going to go to the second part of us, um, to the second scripture, which is in Ecclesiastes ch uh, ch uh, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verse 17. And it says, Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can really discover its meaning. Even the wise claim they know, but they cannot comprehend. Whoa. Ladies and gentlemen, man, the Bible already has, uh, already has prophesied what these scientists are going to say. You can't understand what it is. But what's the point of trying? You're going to keep on failing those experiments. The Bible has just told you exactly what's happened. So the challenge I have for all of you is to go off and study the Bible with at least one person who believes in evolution. Yeah. Thank you. It doesn't. It takes 
as Dr. Corby says a lot, it takes a lot of faith to believe in something that doesn't exist. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard it before. And um, in Britain, diversity is a very, it's our greatest strength. Um, And as we all know, London is one of the most diverse cities in the entire entire of the UK. Um, And what really gets me is that now seeing the world as a disciple, London is really faithless. And that is what Britain's greatest weakness is. It is faithlessness. It is the lack of faith in others. It's the lack of faith in oneself. And it is, most importantly, the lack of faith in God. And that's what hits me the most because I, I was one of them. I grew up Catholic. And I remember sitting in one of the confirmation classes. Um, where is confirmation is simply uh, like a twelve-week like commitment thing where Catholics go, and it's a process of confirming that you're a freely fledged Roman Catholic, and by the end of it, it's like sealing the deal that you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then after that, you can go on to do whatever you want. Yeah, that's what it was. You get a certificate, you get everything, you get like you make timeline. Yeah, you get you choose. They even make you choose your own name, like to add in. So then I remember I chose like Martha because <laughs> she cooked for Jesus. <laughs> she cooked for Jesus. I remember I remember picking her name for that specific reason. No spiritual reason, just the fact that she cooked for Jesus. Um, um, but yeah, it was one of these where it hit me and I was sitting on the classes and it made me think. Surrounded by all these people, and I was like, why am I here? Mm. I came to one of these places just to, I was going to these sessions to help strengthen my relationship with God, but I wasn't strengthening anything at all. It was more rather strengthening the fact that God and religion was not for me. And um, Catholicism really deterred me away from God. Um, And around the age of 14 and 15, I decided to stop believing in God. And um, it was quite, it's quite bold for a young person, right? To believe in, to really say, say that I don't believe in God, even though like the entire world says there is a God out there. Um, but that's because we just don't know the truth. And I live my, I continue to live my life from that moment onwards with the idea of that for every good there's a bad, and that for every bad there was a good. So I was always constantly live my life with uncertainty. And that's what really like built up my anxiety. Um, And instead of living a life according to God's word, who makes my path straight, that's what my life was about. It was about uncertainty, and that's what atheists like base their base their belief on because it's uncertain. They don't have solid proof of the fact that there isn't a God. And um, a study conducted by the British Social Attitudes in 2017, so just last year. Recorded the number of Britons that say they have no religion is 53%. That number rose from 14% recorded in 2015. In, so in just two years, there was a 6% increase, making that more than half of the UK's population unaffiliating themselves with God. Wow. So that's 53% of people in the UK with almost three out of four 18 to 24 year olds say they have no religion. So why do I specifically say 18 to 24 year olds? Because they are campus students. And that's the thing that really got me the most when I saw it. I was like, wow, 18 to 24 year olds right now. And I'm 
that's probably the percentage has probably increased because this was data from last year. That percentage has probably increased from like 53 to I don't know, maybe potentially even 60 percent, and that is shocking. Yeah. We really need to like step up, and honestly, we really do. Um, because yes, because the 53 percent is predominantly driven by young people who have who or who are the future. We are the future, guys. And um, for the, so for the past five years, I lived, <clears throat> or even last year, I was a part of that 53%. Um, I didn't associate myself with God. Um, it was only until this year I decided to fight on God's side. <laughs> and that I haven't turned back. But unfortunately, the, for many, this isn't the case. Like, guys, this is a wake-up call to all of us, and um, we are in a constant battle, because there are people actually walking out there on the highway to hell, and it's, it's scary. Um, so we need to really, really be the light in people's lives, we, because people are going around without the, with the absence of God in their lives. And sharing on Imperial, you either get one of two people. You either get the people who believe in science, or the people who don't believe in God at all. It's rare for people that actually say, oh, you don't actually believe in God. And when you do get people that believe in God, you're like, oh, wow, there are actually, there are actually people here that actually believe in God. But the main reactions where you can get a stir, like a cold shoulder, or just like, oh, I don't want to talk about that because something personal. They don't want to talk about it because something happened to them when they were younger. Like for me, I was deterred away from religion. And that pushed me away from it. That's why I decided to say, no, that's not, that's not for me. Yeah. But the thing is, God will keep trying. And instead of focusing on what is happening, we should focus on what we can make happen. Yeah. So, I've got a challenge for you guys. Please. Search and teach yourself about atheism. Because honestly, myself, I don't know a lot either. And um, because it's, it's really essential to go, to go out into battle equipped. Like, we all say we have the, the, the armour. The God, the God's armor on us. But are we really, do we really have the armor? Do we really know our Bibles? So I really want to challenge everyone to really go after knowing your Bibles. And as well as what Rebecca said, show people, show them love. I didn't know love as a Catholic. And I mean, I'm still trying to learn that, but the first time I came to a campus devotional, I was compelled by the love. And that's what changed me. <laughs> Thank you, sorry. Um, and yeah. <laughs> um, and God will keep on trying because it took me three times to actually study the Bible. But if God will keep trying, that shouldn't mean we shouldn't try as well. We should keep trying too. And I just want to finish off with this scripture in Psalm 14, verse 1. And it says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are wild. There is no one who does good. And we all know what fool means. It's someone that's wise, but does, um, that acts unwisely or foolishly. So, they are, they are smart. They just need to be told the truth. And we are here to tell them the truth. So, yes, as, as just a final statement, don't be a fool, live by the rule. <laughs> So, who knows what Calvinism is? 
So John Calvin, he started it off. He um, he taught people, and and so what they what they come up with, and in actual fact, John Calvin didn't even come up with this. What what Sean mentioned earlier with tulip, right? Um, tulip stands for total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Now what's so sad is is that I, I went out in um, on campus. And I studied with two Calvinists over the last two weeks. Oh. And three days is they really don't have a clue what they believe. I asked them, so how do you get saved? Uh, uh, John 3.16. Okay. What's that? So, uh, uh, tell me about it. Well, I, I think that's the way to go. This was the one guy. The other guy, I studied with him, and he says, well, if you have faith, then God saved you already. Because you can't do anything about it, you can't make a decision to believe in God because you're totally depraved. That's the first thing. They say you're totally depraved and no one has the chance to even do anything good. Nobody has the the possibility to choose the right things. She said, Muslims are absolutely absolutely wrong. They don't have faith. I'm like, they do have faith. Even atheists have faith. Come on, bro. They have faith in nothing. Yeah. See, you need so much faith to believe that nothing, that something came out of nothing. Wow. You need so much faith for that. Yeah. Like I would rather have God who prayed the earth and be like, wow, I can actually yeah. put this down. I don't know where God came from, <laughs> but He's God. I don't have to explain it. Lucky right. <laughs> See, everybody has faith. Mm. Every single person has faith, and He got so angry with it. So you say that Muslims are safe. <laughs> I never said that. I don't believe that Muslims are Honestly, he camped out on that for five minutes. You say Muslims are safe. I never said Muslims are safe. I remember, I remember two years ago in Sydney, I just moved, moved from the East region to the North region and I started to be full time. And my first study was with the Calvinists. So awesome. So tell me, 
what do you believe about salvation? Well, you're chosen to be saved. God chooses you and you can't resist it. So I say, so if you, if you can really not do anything about losing your salvation and so on, what do you believe? So you can live however you want, you can sleep around, you can get drunk, you can do this, and you, and you just go to heaven because God chose you to be saved, right? Uh, it's like, well, uh, you know, it, 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 I don't, so, awesome. so you want to tell me if there's a newborn baby, this baby's predestined either to go to heaven or to hell, and you can't do anything about it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I would have to ask my teachers at church for that. I'm like, you, you, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. But now let, let's look into it. Total depravity means that you don't have any choices. Mm. You can't do anything, which is totally wrong. In John chapter 7, uh, 7 17, Jesus says, John 7, 17 says, Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak to the See, you gotta choose to believe in God. See, there's no way how, how, how you can just wake up and say, Yeah, I choose to do the will of God. Nobody wants to do that. Naturally. Nobody wants to, but you make a decision to do it. Yet the Calvinists say that you're so evil and so wicked that you don't have a chance to even do that. Now, the other thing is unconditional election. See, they say that, that God elects those, those that He wants to elect. And you can't do anything about it. So if God elected you to be doomed for hell, sorry bro, you just go to hell. You know, but we read in Ezekiel 33 already that it says, Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, take no ple- I take no pleasure in the death, death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Yeah. Turn. Turn from the evil ways. Why shall, will you die, people of Israel? See, even the Israelites. Guys, I, guys, I chose you already, but you turned away from me. See, that's, that's the, the other thing. It says, limited atonement. It, the Calvinists believe that Jesus only died for the elect. Wow. He didn't die for everybody. He just died for those who chose to, to die. Right, right. You know, he said, oh, Tommy, yeah, I want him to go there. Amen. But Ashe, oh, Thank you, Lord. You know, with Ashe, he got to send bad night sleep. Oh, God wrote the Bible so that we can make a decision to not sin. 
But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Jesus died for literally every single one. Tell us, bro. Preach about it. We got to tell these people. Yeah. You know, um, the next thing is irresistible grace. What that means is, is that you, since you don't have a choice, right, you're depressed anyway. And God's so gracious to cause some out, so they can't be resisted grace. So no matter what you do, you're always full of, like, you, you, it's not your choice, so God puts it on you, but only on certain people. And you can't, you can't resist it. You're just, this is also what I ask the people. So I ask them, so what if somebody stops doing the good what they, what they, what they were doing, right? I, I asked the Calvinist that I studied with over the last two weeks, and I asked them, so what if you are now in your church, right? But now you stop going there and you stop doing what God wants, or what they were never Christians in the first place. Huh? So, so that means that you have to keep on going, but you never know who's actually really a Christian, because they can always leave. But the real ones say, well, they can't resist. That is so confusing, all this stuff. No, 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 that, that is not what it's all about. The grace we can, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, it says that you can actually fall away from grace. It says you are trying to be justified by the law and have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. See, you can resist God's grace. You can go away from God's grace. And these people don't do anything. They don't even go after the Jewish law. They just don't have a clue. They are the broad way to destruction. Mm. They are just going nowhere and they don't even know what they are doing. The last one is the perseverance of the saints. That basically means that you can't fall away. <laughs> One saved, always saved. Now to refute that one, it's pretty simple. In Luke chapter 15, we have the parable of the lost son. And we clearly see that the son makes a decision to leave the father. In verse 11 it says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. What the son did was basically, so we have to understand, the sons are we, right? The, the right. human beings, yeah. and the father is God. Yeah. Yeah, now what, what, what was common is that the older son would get two thirds of the share, and the younger son would get one, one, one third of the share. Mm. And so what the younger son basically says is, Father, you're dead to me. Give me what, what is mine, what you would give me when you would die. But I want that right now, you're basically dead to me. Wow. He made a decision totally against God. And we know how it goes on, he goes out, he moves to a foreign country, and he, and he squanders all the money. But then it says in verse 17, when he came to his senses, we got to pray for these guys, for the, for the Protestants to come to their senses. Mm. Guys, we gotta, we gotta pray for them. So when he came to his, to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. See, he saw how bad his life was. See, we had a choice to make. We can make choices. We're not totally depraved. We are sinful, absolutely. But we gotta, we gotta make decisions, but we gotta help these people. Mm. I, I'm so sad for them, because they're so deceived. And I like that what, what Rebecca shared in 1 Corinthians, only the Bible will help them to break down these, mm. these um, strongholds. Mm. 
And so we see then that he makes the decision to actually go back to, to his father. Mm. See, he makes the decision to go back to God and it says, it says in verse 20, So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. See, God loves us. He ran to his son, all of us, even those who, who turn away from him. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring up on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He fell away. And is alive again. Mm. See? He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. See, we can lose our salvation, but we can come back to God. We got, we got to help the Protestant, like the Protestants, because they are the majority in England. Yeah. Did you know? Yeah. The Protestants are the, the majority in England. Wow. We got to help these guys. My parents are Protestants. Wow. I used to be a Protestant. Now, I always struggle with these kind of doctrines. Now, you have one, one side... And so on, but we gotta learn about these things, and we see that we gotta make a decision to follow God. Amen. And we gotta help these guys to make a decision to to really follow God. So pray for them. So we gotta pray for them. We gotta get them in the Word, and then pull them into Bible studies until God goes. Thank you for listening to that episode. If you want to see more of what we get up to, you can follow us on all social medias at LICCX Campus. That is L-I-C-C-X-C-A-M-P-U-S. You can also check us out on londonchurch.org.uk forward slash campus. That is L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G dot U-K forward slash campus. C-A-M-P-U-S. Yes. Once again, we want to thank you for listening to that episode, and we'll catch you on the next one.